Okay, okay. So I get the privilege now of introducing our first speaker. Uh, for those of you there, if you did anybody, did everybody get a schedule? Um, they're out in the lobby. If you didn't get one, there'll be four sessions, both today or both tomorrow and Wednesday. Just FYI. And so this is our first session, and we have uh, Brother Dan Bohai in the house uh, to bring the word. Yeah. I I was talking to somebody this morning that said that is the best message on holiness I've ever heard in my life. And I said, you know, Dan is the message of holiness. And it is a, such a beautiful message of power and purity merged. And Dan doesn't just preach it, he lives it. And his life is bearing fruit that is greater in anything than we could ask or imagine. He is living Ephesians 3.17. And we are so excited and privileged to have a man of God and a humble servant of the Most High King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Dan Bohai, in the house to bring the word of God. So let's uh, stand and honor him as he comes forward. Amen. The offering's as good as the applause. We're going to be so happy. <laughs> this is amazing. I just wish there was an energy or excitement in your church, though. It's kind of like... You guys awake? Thank you, Jordan. I love you guys. Amen. What an awesome worship team. Yes. We worship. Amen. Isn't God so good? Amen. How many of you have um, read my book? Okay. How many of you haven't? <laughs> um. Randy Clark says, I recommend all who are pursuing kingdom ministry to absorb the message of this book. It's right on the cover. <laughs> I can say that here. Um, Randy read this book, and after he read it, he put my life story as the last chapter of his book, Authority to Heal, that he just put out. It's called A New Pentecost. It's my life story. It's because he, he got blessed reading Robin I's book. And so if you want to become more inspired, empowered, commissioned to live the life of Jesus, I think that's what the book does. I think it just encourages you to live Jesus. There's lots of books that are about holiness because he is holy. And the people that are going to be his bride will probably be holy too. If you don't believe that, you probably have a rude awakening. He's going to have a holy bride. He's waiting on us to be like him. But there's books on healing too. Lots of healing books. This is one on both. Holiness and healing. So if you want to replicate the life of Jesus, you need to get the book. So all your hands that went up, there's a table out there that has that many books on it. <laughs> this one's free. Who wants this one? Oh, come on. Hands are, hands are cheap. Somebody's got to run up here and get it. Oh, that's cheating. That's so cheating. Cheating. I have 11 new sermons I've produced this year, 11 new sermons. I don't want to go through all of them. They're good. This, this, this will cost you. They're usually $150, but if you want to buy the set, I'll do it for $100. And the guy I'm at the table. I also wanted you to know if, if any of you like my preaching... This, is, this actually is my 13th revival in this valley since 2010. 
So, you know, I've had, I, mean, I have a lot of friends here. I have a lot of partners here. Yeah. It's like this is home base for me, okay? It's how I do what I do. And, but if there's somebody here that really hasn't heard my preaching, if you want to buy everything I got, it's all half price. I do that everywhere I go. Sometimes people do it. You just buy everything on the table, it's half price. Amen? If you don't have any money, we'll give you something. I really don't need your money. I just don't think you'd ever listen to them unless you buy them. Seriously. You just throw them in the back of your car. So, so if you buy them, you'll probably listen to them, and it might change your life. Amen. Okay. This is an exciting crowd. I know that. <laughs> I heard, I heard um, tonight when we were worshiping, the Lord kept telling me people were starting to dream again during the worship. I mean, I heard it so strong over and over again. It's like you've been afraid to dream because you didn't want to be disappointed, but God was tearing off the disappointment so you could dream again. And if that, if that happened to you while we were worshiping, stand up, please. No, I knew I wasn't crazy. Come on. That's so good. Amen. 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 I love it when people dream, don't you? I think I want to talk tonight about something that maybe is the most powerful force on the planet. It's kind of a strange topic, but I've never preached on it before. Today, we were doing our um, small group as a team. You know, we meet together daily and pray and read the word and share and fellowship and trying to do Acts 2 as, as a lifestyle, Acts 2.42. And we were going through, my, my goal is to take my team through the whole New Testament before we die. <laughs> Some days we don't get very far. <laughs> but today we were on Matthew 18, and it's, it's about forgiveness. Um, so I think the most powerful force there is is forgiveness, which means probably unforgiveness is a post very powerful force too. And I think that we have to learn to forgive or we're not we're gonna miss what God has for us and the ones that we don't forgive. We have a big responsibility to become forgivers. Amen? Don't you guys love the teaching in Matthew 6 where Jesus taught the disciples how to pray and he said, pray that my kingdom would come and my will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. But then a couple of verses later he said, and if you forgive others, I'll forgive you. But he says, if you don't forgive others, I can't forgive you. Whoa. I don't ever ask people anymore, are you born again? Because I feel like that's a kind of a misunderstood term. You know what I ask people these days? How long have you been forgiving? Because if you're not forgiving, you're not forgiven. I don't think he forgives us so that we can hold on to unforgiveness. I think he forgives us because he wants us to become forgiveness. He wants us to become the embodiment of Christ, and Christ is forgiveness. I mean, one of the last great things Jesus did in Luke 23, 34, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. That's amazing, isn't it, church, when he could say that? And down through the ages, as I was thinking today, I was kind of going through my mind because how I construct services, I get an idea, and then the Lord just starts bringing these verses. And in, in Exodus 32, 32, Moses was praying for those people that God wanted to wipe out, called the Israelites. And he said, Father, blot my name out of the book of life. In other words, forgive them. Take me. That's pretty serious prayer. Then 2 Samuel 24, 17, David says, it's not their fault, God. I'm the one that wanted to count my resources. Please take me instead of them. 
Then I think about Stephen in Acts 7.60, whether he's just about ready to take his last breath because they're throwing rocks at him. Just they're stoning him hard. And he looks up and he sees God standing at the right hand. He sees Jesus standing up there. And Man, I think if you have a heart of forgiveness, you'll get Jesus off of his seat. Right now, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for all of us, right? Hebrews 7.25, he's seated because he earned the right to sit down. <laughs> Come on, he worked pretty hard. So he's entered into his rest. But when he sees a boy taking rocks, and all they can do is say he's looking more and more like an angel, it means he must not be trying to hold unforgiveness to the one stoning him. He must really have a spirit of forgiveness. And at the very end, right before he dies, he looks up and he says, don't hold this sin against them. Wow. I think forgiveness would change the world. Come on, church. Then in Romans 9, 3, Paul, when he's talking about his people, he's kind of, he's kind of prophesying, praying, writing all at the same time. And he goes, I just wish that I were accursed. So you could save all my brethren, all my people. I mean, there's a, there has to be a place if Moses and David, and those are pretty heavy hitters. They're big dogs, right? I mean, and Stephen and Paul. And it, it, there has to be a way that the Holy Spirit could get us to the place that at our weakest, most tormented place in our life, what would come out is what we've become. Forgiveness. Whoa. In 2 Corinthians 5, I think it's 19. I don't have it memorized, but I know it's on the left page on the inside column. Now listen to this. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul's talking about how Jesus wasn't holding the sins against them, but he was reconciling the world to himself through the forgiveness that Christ, because he wouldn't hold the sins against him. And just as Christ was forgiving everybody that was sinning, right? He didn't wait till we were good to forgive us. In fact, in Romans 5, 8, this is love. Not that he laid down his life for his friends, but that he laid down his life while we were yet sinners. He gave his life while we were yet sinners. And so in that 2 Corinthians 5 passage... Paul says, I'm paraphrasing this. He says, just as I've forgiven people's sins through Christ, now you do the exact same thing. In fact, I'm going to appoint you as a minister of reconciliation. In fact, your job as a Christian will be, you'll be a professional, paid by me, forgiver. You'll just dispense forgiveness wherever you go. When the kingdom comes to earth as it is in heaven... What will produce in you will be, you'll be walking, talking, breathing, reconciliation, forgiveness. Whoa. How could you hurt somebody like that? How could you hurt somebody that no matter what you do, they forgive you? <laughs> I love Peter. Jesus, how many times I got to forgive him? Seven? <laughs> I love what Jesus says. Um, let's start with 70 times seven and then tomorrow start over because love doesn't keep a record. So why would you count how many times you have to forgive someone unless you're keeping a record? That's the fifth time you've done that. Really? How do you know that? Well, I'm keeping track. Huh? Love doesn't, and love always forgives. Have you ever read that Cory Boom story, Cory Ten Boom, remember that, where she was in the Holocaust, and she was a POW, and they tortured her and raped her and killed her family, and later on she lived and she was free, and she saw that soldier in one of her services where she was speaking, the one that tortured her and took her sister out. Remember that? It's amazing. And she's a little afraid, right? She's a little afraid, and she sees that guy coming up to her, and he doesn't know who she is, but she knows who he is. Yeah. Come on. 
He was just a soldier that had a twisted mindset that we're supposed to destroy this lesser race because we're the Aryans, but she was one of the victims, right? And he doesn't deserve her forgiveness, but the Holy Spirit's telling her, you've got to forgive him. And when she forgives him, it heals his heart, which takes me to John 20, 21. And Jesus appears to them. He comes in, whatever, however he got in the room. I don't know how that works. I used to make sound effects, like, boop, there he is. I mean, that's stupid. There's no sound effects in the Bible. There he is. Stupid. I mean, ADD. But anyway, he's there, and, and, and he says to him, you know, peace be unto you. And then he, he calls his disciples to him, and they're afraid, right? They're afraid. Because until perfect love fills you, all you have is fear that you wrestle with constantly. And he says, hey, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Same reason my Father sent me to this planet. It's your reason too. Then he breathed on them. It's just like Genesis chapter 2 when he breathed on dirt and they became the image of God. Same thing all over again. But then he says something. If you forgive others their sins... They'll be forgiven. If you don't, their sins will be retained. That almost sounds like we're all a bunch of royal priesthoods. And everybody's supposed to come to us and confess and we forgive. We don't hold on to that. Because if we don't forgive, now their sins. They're having an issue with, does God really forgive if I can't get somebody else to forgive? And that's the first thing Jesus said to them after he breathed on them with his spirit. I wonder if forgiveness is important. Yeah. Let's, can we read some scripture to make it, like, legal? <laughs> is your mom here tonight, Jordan? Is she not here? Okay. Okay, you guys ready? Oh, <laughs> turn to Matthew 18. I got to fill you in on where we had Bible study this morning. This is, this, is a, this is a topic on forgiveness, okay? Matthew 18. starts with verse 21. Has anybody got a Bible? Or are they all on your phones? Hey Amen. I, I heard some pages. Matthew 18. Okay, then, then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother's sin against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I did not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle them, oh, this is interesting to me. I just, I just feel like what Jordan said to me tonight rings true with me too. Jesus always had to speak in parables. Because they couldn't handle all he really wanted to tell them. He had to speak in parables until after the Holy Spirit was given. Then he didn't have to speak in parables anymore. He didn't have to speak in parables. Now he could speak literally. I want him to be able to speak to us tonight everything we need to hear and him not be afraid that we can't handle it. Wouldn't that be good? John 16, 12. Remember that last night before he got arrested? He said, I have much more to share with you now, but you can't bear it. I want us to be a room that can bear it. Yes. Just give us the full load. Come on. Come on. If it hurts, who cares? Amen. I'd rather hurt and feel free. Yes. Wouldn't you guys? Okay, so I'm just going to keep reading. I can't hardly see. I feel like I need new eyes tonight. For this reason, the kingdom of God may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And I think that's a little over 14 million in today's dollars. So he's in debt. Wasn't supposed to be a joke, but <laughs> so there's a guy that owed him fourteen million dollars. But since he did not have the means to repay his lord, commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. Okay, 
so this guy can't pay his debt. And so he's sold into slavery and put in the torture's chamber, right, until some relative will come up with the money. And obviously, probably nobody of his relatives could come up with the money or he wouldn't owe $14 million. So it's not a good picture. He's in over his head, right? And, and so, huh. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. I don't know how he's going to do that unless he's going to go steal it. He can't pay that. And, and I know the king knows it. But look what it says. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Whoa. Did you know in John 19, 31, when Jesus said, it is finished, he paid our debt. Every one of us is in over our head with debt. I'm not talking about your mortgage and your student loans and your cars. And, well, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your life that you could never pay for. And Jesus paid for it all. He said, it's finished. Man, talk about a credit line Jesus has. He wiped everybody's debt out that would ever live on the planet. I really believe that when, when it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, when it says love never fails, he's love, right? He was holiness put on skin, manifested agape, and that never fails. And the word never goes both directions in time. I really believe when he said it is finished, his love and grace went all the way back to Adam and all the way forward to everybody who would ever live. It's a big deal what he did. It's probably good news. That's why we're on church on Monday night. I mean, can you believe this? Look around you. This is Monday night and you're young people not wanting to watch TV or it's wild, man. I just want to party. <laughs> it's wild. I keep pinching myself. Is this America? You guys could take this valley. You could take this whole valley. The river could get out of its banks. <laughs> flood stage. River house flood stage church. <laughs> what happened? I don't know. Everybody just started releasing the river. And, and then the latter day rain kept coming down. And somewhere in the middle, the whole valley got changed. Wouldn't that be amazing? So anyway, I got sidetracked on that, but this guy had compassion. He felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him, like, I think it's like $18. Payback. He seized him. Listen to this. He seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So he just got forgiven $14 million, and he's choking a guy for $10 or $15. You know what Jordan said that I'm like a holiness preacher? I probably am. That's probably my whole life message. Because this parable to me shows me there has to be more than forgiveness or nobody would become forgiveness. This guy just got forgiven of everything he owed but his heart wasn't forgiveness yet. There has to be a deeper work than forgiveness for us to become forgiveness. Come on. A lot of born-again people hold grudges. They've been forgiven. Probably ought to go deeper and let God get to the root cause of why we needed forgiveness to begin with. And maybe he could change our whole nature back to the divine nature. Amen? That's not what I want to preach on, but that's, Jordan said it, so i got to fulfill his prophecy. So, 
his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me and I will repay you. The same exact prayer. The guy in debt, 14 million, prays the same prayer. He gets mercy and his debt's canceled. A few minutes later, 10 bucks, choking him, falls on the ground. Same exact prayer. What a slow, boneheaded guy that was. He didn't forgive him. He was unwilling. He went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. And this prison system was they would be tortured until a family member would come forward and pay the debt. I'm glad we don't do that now. That'd be, that would kind of suck. Can you imagine? Especially if nobody in your family liked you. <laughs> You're on the rack getting stretched. Well, stretch him out. I mean, can you imagine? Okay. Or that thing where they close you with the spikes go through you. Hey, oh! No, sorry, sir, nobody came forward. I'm glad Jesus did. Amen. And so, 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 so he throws him in prison. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave. This really blows Calvinism really to hell. <laughs> I'm not saying Calvinists. I'm talking about the doctrine. It's a scary verse, you guys. Because he was willing not to forgive, he's going to get all the stuff he was forgiven of put back on him. Do you get it? That's scary to me. Because I've talked to thousands and thousands of people and says, no, I'm forgiven, doesn't matter what I do. Well, this, this whole thing's in red. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Calvinists. I mean, I love Calvinists. I just don't like that doctrine. I think we need to live moment by moment, relying on the grace and mercy of God. Don't you guys believe that? And so, and, so, and so look at this, look at this. Then, so his fellow slaves saw, okay, they report to the Lord. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, <laughs> he just forgave him, now he's wicked. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have also had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers. until he should repay all that was owed him. Now look at what he said. My father will also do the same to each of you if you don't forgive your brothers from your heart. Aren't you glad before this service is over we're all going to be forgivers? <laughs> Think about it. If all of us aren't handed over to tortures, and I don't, I don't even think this is talking about hell. I think it's talking about the hell on earth that people live in when they don't forgive. I don't think it's talking about hell because you can get out of this and you can't get out of hell. So what are the tortures? Depression? Sickness? Illness? Disease, broken families, divorce, fear that our past will catch up, sickness. When you see someone on Facebook, it makes you feel sick, and you, or you see somebody at Trader Joe's and you try to hide on the other side because you said a prayer of forgiveness, but it's obvious you didn't because it still hurts real bad. I mean, can you think about, there's a lot of tortures. So I don't think it's talking about hell, because I think you can get out of this if somebody pays your debt. Here's the, here's the part that's ironic to me. So the one dude that owed $10, he's in the prison getting stretched, whatever they're doing, whatever. Maybe they're putting lightning with a cigarette lighter. I don't know what they're doing. They're torturing him. Just take your pick. Maybe it's just watching, like, reruns of TV shows that are terrible. I, I have no idea. It's torture. <laughs> But now the guy that was free 
that owed 14 million, he's in the rack right next to him. And what I believe is possible is if the stubborn, unrepentant first guy that was forgiven at one time sees the guy next to him and he realizes if I would have forgiven him, I wouldn't be here. But if I forgive him, he wouldn't be here either. Now John 20 makes more sense to me. If I forgive someone, their sins are forgiven. If I don't, their sins are retained. Maybe if we lived a life where we couldn't be anything but forgiveness, everybody around us would escape the tortures that maybe we shouldn't have ever let them go into because we kept them in that. Is this good preaching? Turn to Luke 17. I want to touch on something else maybe. The Lord just now told me to do this. So I'm going to do this. So Luke 17. Jordan said he wanted the whole thing. So here we go. It's all Jordan's fault tonight. He said. So, so his disciples said to him. No, he said to his disciples. Look at Luke 17. He said to his disciples. It is inevitable that stumbling blocks will come. But woe to him whom, through whom they come. Stumbling blocks. I think stumbling blocks are the things that cause us to either fight to forgive or develop unforgiveness. You get it? Someone says something. Someone does something. And it's like there's a trap, there's a trap set. The word stumbling blocks is that word, it's the word scandalin, where you would get scandalous. And the reason why it's so scandalous is it starts off being something so small and insignificant, but once you take the bait, it traps you in it, and then it starts growing into something that you have no idea how big it got until now you don't know how to deal with it. And at the, at the very beginning, it was just a little tiny thing that drew you in as a snare. It's like somebody says something, and instead of you just, well, I forgive that, you think, well, wait a minute, that's not right. I need to prove them wrong. So now you took the bait, and so the scandal is a trap, and as soon as you reach in there to get that bait, it knocks the stick out, and bam, now you're, caught in the, now you're caught in the offense. Offense and unforgiveness are probably the two greatest things that keep the church from taking the valley. I'm not talking about River House. I'm talking about the church. Yeah. Offense and unforgiveness, they go hand in hand. They're married. Amen? Amen. Amen. Check this out. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he, that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him that many times. Now listen to this. How can you get offended? By not forgiving I love this. Then the apostles said to Jesus, or said to the Lord, this is one of the questions they asked him. They, taught, they, they asked him once, teach us to pray. This time they said, Lord, increase our faith. Because they're listening to him talk about these offenses, and it's inevitable. They're going to come. And by the way, it's plural. So you're not going to get offended once. It will probably never stop. The question is, how will you respond because if the offenses come and you forgive, they don't become an offense to you. Right. The offenses come and you don't forgive, now all of a sudden you have to deal with stuff and you need ministry. Right. I'm so tired of Christians that need ministry. Right. We're supposed to be the ministers of reconciliation. Right. We all walk around, honey, in prayer. Why? Because I'm offended. How? Well, that person did that. Well, why? Who cares? Well, you're not, you're not even sensitive. No, you're supposed to be dead to yourself and alive in Christ. How can a dead person be offended? If I'm laying here in my casket, I'm deader than a doorknob. I died to myself. I died to sin. I'm dead. I am dead. 
you can say whatever you want about me, and I just like smiling because the mortician put a smile on my face. I mean, <laughs> hi. I'm dead. You could say terrible things about me. I can't even get hurt. There's no way to hurt a dead person. A woman can come up to me and say, man, you want to have an affair? And if I was alive, I could laugh, but I'm too dead to even laugh. I'm just laying here dead. I'm thinking, are you serious? Have you looked at me? I'm dead. <laughs> I'm serious. Somebody come up to me and say, man, you're so anointed. You are so, you know the word. I mean, that's so amazing. And all of a sudden, some people might start getting a little puffed up, but I'm just like, I'm dead. <laughs> and you could say, you're just pathetic. Why don't you have a point? You just preach all over and run things too long and people think you're really hot-headed and loud-mouthed. And... Thank you, I'm, I'm dead. <laughs> you know when I get offended... If I stop being dead to self and I hear something and all of a sudden that takes root and it's like what Hebrews 12, 15 says, make sure no bitter root grows up. All of a sudden, instead of staying dead to self, I think, wait a minute, that, that's not right. They can't say that about me. And you get up and you have to prove that you're right and they're wrong, and that means you got offended, which means you're no longer dead to self. Now you think you have to fight a battle that's already been won, and now the, the, the moment you enter into the battle, you've lost it. Yes. Remember what I said last night in the first service? If you missed the second service, you probably ought to get the tape, but there's no tape except on my table. <laughs> but last night I said in the first service, we need a reckoning. Remember, I said the Wider movie, and Jordan said everybody's too young to remember it, but in the Wider movie, Doc Holliday shows up to beat that guy because Wyatt Earp's not a fast enough gunman. He goes, there's going to be a reckoning. See, I think there has to be a reckoning. that God wants us to enter into this battle that he wants us to lose. He wants us to lose the battle so that we die to self and die to sin, and he resurrects us in his image, and he doesn't get offended. You notice in the casket, all you can do is look up, <laughs> which means all you see is where your help's coming from, and you're just gazing into the one that you're becoming like. You don't even have, in a casket, you have no peripheral vision, because the casket walls don't even let you see what the enemy's doing around you. The, the waves and the storms of life, they don't affect you. They just make the casket ride a little more enjoyable. It's when you put your head up that it looks scary. That's why I believe in holiness. Because Jesus doesn't get offended. He doesn't get afraid. He doesn't get in a hurry. He doesn't get worried. He doesn't get anxious. There's no stumbling blocks that he ever suffers by. And then he has the audacity to say this. If anybody would dare come after me, let him take up his cross. Deny himself. Come on. That's Matthew 16, 24. And then 1 John 2, 6, he even gets a little more intense. If anybody claims to be in me, they have to walk just like me. I never got offended. I never had unforgiveness. Wow. Our team confesses our offenses which means we're probably still being sanctified. Come on, guys. You know how I can tell if a person's really sanctified or they're not? A sanctified person is real quick to admit when they need more help. A carnal Christian acts like they got it all together and there's no fruit around their life. A Christian that has a pure heart that's full of perfect love, they're perfectly willing to admit they need more perfect love every moment. Amen. 
Does this make sense? When I, when I first got married and I had construction companies and I wasn't yet sanctified, it's, I, I got a lot of dirty laundry in my past. I'm glad God doesn't remember it. But I would raise up these people to be good construction workers. I'd pay them a lot, and then they would quit and start their own businesses. And they would always take employees. I had the hardest time forgiving them. Because they hurt me. It hurts, man. And then in 1995, when God purified my heart, I didn't have a hard time forgiving him when that happened. But I had to deal with hurt because I still hurt. But I would forgive, but I would still hurt. And the Lord told me, it's because you're willing to forgive, but you won't let me heal the offense. This is, this is a walk of what holy people have to deal with. Because if I'm worried about, have I forgiven enough so I can minister, and you're still thinking about that, you have no clue what the Holy Spirit's trying to speak through you in any moment. I remember back in 2011, I was asked to speak at our national conference for the Nazarene Church. There's like 3,000 pastors there. And I remember when I got up, I was so nervous. I was sick. I was literally sick because they're all preachers. And I'm just a big guy that I don't even know what I am. And I'm just preaching or speaking or whatever I did. About a thousand people were on their face weeping, just weeping. They were on, their, they were on the concrete, just weeping. And then there was about a thousand people in the back that were kind of like this. <laughs> and about a thousand people in the middle were like, didn't know what was going on. <laughs> Seriously, it was like either revival or riot or something in between, right? Some people are amazed, some people are afraid and some people mock. It's like whenever God really does come, those three things are always present. Now, the question is, am I dead enough where it doesn't affect me? Because after that service, I started getting calls from people and I started getting cancellations and I started getting calls from leaders and they were mad at me and I thought, what are they mad about? I thought our church wanted to see a move of God where people would fall on their faces and repent and, and the glory of God would fill a room and people would want to see a new thing happening. I didn't know people would be mad. Then they started making up websites about me. Whole websites designed to... I understand Acts 19 when they got angry and they used those words to try to destroy Paul. And I understand that because I thought it was a move of God and everybody else was calling me a heretic. And I remember forgiving, but I remember being hurt. So I'm not just speaking this message. It's something we have to live. Come on, you guys. And, and so I remember saying, okay, God, this is ridiculous. I walk around now, looking over my shoulder, wondering who's in the movement and who's not, and that's just stupid. You're the movement. I don't need to worry about that. I need to worry about staying with you. And so the Lord was teaching me, and he was discipling me, and it was some of the loneliest, most painful times of my life trying to learn that God could heal my offenses because I, I really didn't hold unforgiveness. Because for some reason, when God purified my heart, he made it easy for me to forgive. But I got hurt, which means I'm offended. So let's read a little bit more in Luke 17. Can I do that? I'm not saying this because I need anybody's pity because I don't have any problems. I'm pretty free right now. You get it? I'm just trying to teach from my own life. Because if it doesn't work with me, why would I expect it to work with you? Amen? So, so let's just keep going here in, in Luke 17. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> and I preached on that last night, remember? And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say this mulberry tree be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. So let me, let me just break that down just for a minute before we close and we'll have a time of prayer ministry. I'd like to have the Jordan, can you do something soft now in the background? Just, I don't know, you know what to do. 
You know what this, you know what this Luke 1 to that last verse that I just read, Luke 17 to that last, this is you know what it means to me? Satan will do whatever he can to get you distracted to buy into the lie that you can be hurt. And once you buy into it, now you're offended. And the disciples don't want to live there, so they say, Lord, how do you increase our faith? He says, well, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you don't need a lot. You can say this mulberry tree. Let me, let me explain the mulberry tree. It's the largest tree in the garden, and it has the most twisted root system of any tree in the garden. It's the same family as the sycamore trees or the sycamine trees. They're, like in, they're kind of in the family of olive trees. They're that gnarly-looking branches. And just as the trees on top are gnarly, the root system's just as bad. So there's really no way to pull them up. And if you bite into the offense without faith in God... You'll just be trimming on the branches, but you'll never be able to get the root out, and you'll live a life offended where you'll never have victory. You'll never be able to hear from God like he wants you to hear, and you'll never see miracles like he wants you to see because you'll always be needing your own miracle. But he says if you just have faith, it's just like the size of a mustard seed. You can say this mulberry tree be uprooted. So what started out as a little scandalin, a little tiny speck, Satan thought he wouldn't buy into a big thing. Like he wouldn't have an affair, but he could get hurt if he just bought into the fact that he didn't deserve that statement. He wouldn't want to go murder someone, but he could get really angry if he knew what they were really saying. So let's just let him know. It's just something little. But once you buy into it, bam. If you don't get it under the blood immediately, it starts taking root. And the roots become so tangled in your heart that Satan thinks he's got you trapped forever. But Jesus says, if you want faith like me, it don't take a lot. You just speak to that mulberry tree and it can be uprooted. And if it's uprooted, there's no more offense. And what starts off being the littlest, silliest things can end up being the biggest thing in your life. And when you look back, you think, how did I get here? You got offended. Well, how did you stay offended? You didn't forgive. What if we all were just forgivers? <laughs> well, the boss wasn't fair. Good, forgive him. Well, my dad just, good, forgive him. Well, I got abused. You don't understand. My uncle, my foster parents, they sexually abused me. I know, and I don't, I, I don't condone none of that. I hate it. Forgive them. Well, that church didn't let me flourish. They tried. I know, forgive them. When mom had an affair, when dad had an affair, it ruined my confidence. I know, forgive him. Let's become forgiveness. Walking, breathing, forgiveness. Whoa! I'm not offended. God brought me through all that. I don't know the last time I got offended. I heard things this week. There's this thing in this valley called the Bohai situation. I heard it from a couple pastors, Nazarene pastors. You know there's a Bohai situation. Really? In the old days, I'd get offended. God's healed my heart. See, you yank the tree up enough times, the soul of your heart is not fallow and hard. It's so pliable that God's grace keeps massaging it. And all it can take, listen to it, all it can take is the seeds that come out of the kingdom of God. It doesn't receive the seeds from the kingdom of darkness anymore. I've proved him true. I'm unoffendable. I will tell you this honestly. I have 14 grandbabies. I'm not saying this to be weird. I'm not saying this to be like morbid. But if they all got killed in a tornado and my wife got killed, who I've been with since we're eighth graders, they all got taken to heaven because they're all with Jesus. They're all on fire right now. I wouldn't change one thing I'm doing. I wouldn't be offended at God. He doesn't owe me anything. Do you understand? Jesus gave me everything I will ever need. He already gave it all to me. He owes me nothing. I owe him everything. Now, only a dead person can really believe that. That's an unstoppable force, isn't it? 
being walking, living, breathing forgiveness in the flesh. No place for offense to take root. So here's what I like to do. I like Jay and Dave and Barb and Connie and Craig and Jordan and Rob. I'd like you to come up here and just sit along this counter. Can you do that for me? I want you up here too, Jordan. If you have a staff pastor, Jordan, would you come up here too? You're a pastor, aren't you? Just sit up here. This is what I want to do. Just listen, listen very, very carefully to me. This is going to be important, okay? If you, um, just sit over there on the stage, Dave, somewhere. If you have had a problem forgiving like a male figure, like maybe God, maybe you prayed and God didn't give you what you asked for and something happened that hurt you and you need to forgive God, then go to one of the men and say, God, I forgive you. I promise you the one on the stage will forgive you and say you're okay. Maybe your daddy abused you or your mama hurt you or an uncle or an aunt or a boss or a pastor or a brother or sister. Or maybe you need to forgive yourself. And so if you're a girl, go to a girl. If you're a boy, go to a boy and say, I need to forgive myself. And they'll pray with you and you'll be forgiven. I think tonight, listen to this, I think tonight, view these people as the person you need to forgive. And wouldn't it be nice to let go of all the unforgiveness tonight in the whole room? And so there was no place for any offense in any of our lives. We're just free. Would that be awesome? And so as he plays, so nobody can hear your stuff, and these people are all confidential, they're all really deep people. If you need to forgive someone or forgive yourself, forgive God, would you come up and share it with one of these people and get free of that unforgiveness so the offense leaves and we're all free tonight? Can we do that? So can you move now and do it? Just let's get rid of unforgiveness, come on. Come on, find somebody on the stage.